is Bloomberg Surveillance. The volatility is a result of a buildup over many, many years, Fed-sponsored, of carry trades. We need our banking sector to be able to make mistakes, because they're all human, without bringing down the whole economy or requiring a bailout. The pressures that most companies feel are not translating into the kind of investment that I think we need to drive economic growth in America or anywhere else. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keene, Bloomberg Surveillance. We welcome all of you worldwide. Bloomberg Radio Plus, across this nation, Bloomberg 1200 Boston, Bloomberg 1130 in Spring Lake, New York, 99.1 FM, Washington, and, of course, out in the Bay Area waking up. We welcome uh, all of San Francisco and the Bay Area. Bloomberg 960, importantly, nationwide. And across Canada, Sirius XM Channel 119, good to have you uh, with us. It has been an odd, and I've used the word clumsy or indeterminate uh, week. We're just sort of trying to get our bearings and perspective into weekend uh, reading. I mean, it has been uh, all in all a challenge, to say the least. We'll do that with not endless data checks, but we'll keep you abreast of what equities, bonds, currencies, and commodities are doing. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Cone Resnick, accounting tax advisory to seize opportunities in commercial real estate. Your business needs market-focused guidance from the industry-leading experts at Cone Resnick. Find out how at ConeResnick.com. My reading this weekend starts with the new Foreign Affairs magazine. Congratulations to Gideon and all, uh, Richard House and all over at CFR and Foreign Affairs for a must-read thick edition. Lawrence Summers uh, leads it off. I will read Tyler Cowen. George Mason, I will read here. Robert D. Kaplan. I've already started. Have you started? I've read it's Tyler's, yeah. and uh, I've read um, Larry Summers. Yeah. Headline, uh, just crossing here. The Yahoo board has formed an independent committee to explore options. The for sale sign seems to have oh, been hung out on the door. Yeah, painful, painful. Uh, one of the short reads of the weekend, Michael McKee signaled, uh, I, it, it's good to look at market notes that are short, sharp, focused, eight pages, nine pages, and within them is important perspective. In this case, Mike on the VIX. Nicholas, another great uh, market note. He takes apart statistics like nobody. Uh, he's uh, chief market strategist at Convergex, uh, and he's noting that for all the volatility that we have had this year, your favorite measure, Tom, the VIX, uh, has not gone anywhere near the heights it reached back in August during the volatility then. Uh, it reached 40 uh, in those days, and uh, we're only in the mid-20s, uh, obviously falling back uh, this week to the low 20s. Uh, uh, so uh, Nick's taking apart the numbers on why this might be. Uh, we, we hear so much, Nick, about how terrified everybody is and yet uh, they're not putting their money where their fear is. Yep, that is absolutely right. It's really been puzzling that the VIX just did not spike back to those levels that we saw back in August. And I really wondered why, and so I pulled apart the individual implied volatilities for all the sectors of the S&P, and it turns out two are doing their job and really getting volatile, and eight are not. And the two that are, energy and financials, no surprise there. Yeah, um, obviously uh, people have been concerned about what's going on, in, especially in Europe, in financials and in oil. Uh, so that makes sense. But uh, in August, technology was, was way up. 
Yes, exactly right. Technology, which is obviously the, the biggest sector in the S&P, 21% weighting right now, is an important sector to see get more volatile if you think volatility is going to increase. It did that in August. It hasn't done that this year, I think perhaps because uh, investors are looking at technology as being somewhat insulated from the European financial situation, the situation with oil, and even the situation in China. So it's temporarily formed this little moat around itself, and we'll see how long that lasts. Well, is, that, is this telling us that what we're dealing with is sort of overseas concerns outside of uh, the oil patch in the U.S.? Because there's as we just mentioned, been a lot of concern about what happens to Yahoo. Uh, Apple was everybody's favorite pinata for a while, and yet it just doesn't seem to be reflected in these fear gauges. Yeah, that's exactly right. I went and actually looked at the four biggest names in technology, the Microsofts, the Apples, yeah. the Googles, and so forth, and it's really a mixed bag. Some are showing volatility like they did in August, some are not. So your point's well taken. For the moment, it seems to be technology's a story-by-story -story situation versus a macro call like oil or financials what is your experience on actually using the vix i find that it borders on you know medieval alchemy uh the, the way to me it's wildly asymmetric it has value highly extended towards fear and angst and other than that i have trouble using vix where are you I use just the basic numbers to guide me. So, for example, the, the average of the VIX since its founding in 1990 is 20, and the standard deviation is 8. So within a very broad band, literally down to 10 or up to 36, you're not really getting a lot of, of signal. That's why I look at 40 on the VIX is where we start to get interested, because then statistically it is two standard deviations away from the mean, and we can start to pay attention. It got there in August. It didn't get there this year. I, I, I look, you know, at, at the elevations, and obviously we're dampened down now. Is the VIX market now, Nick, so sophisticated in its derivative use of forward markets that the VIX now is not the same VIX we knew and loved 10 years ago? I think it's a very good point, you know, for no other reason than that we have all these VIX-related ETF products, which, by the way, have had about half a billion dollars of redemptions year-to-date, so there's actually less need to hedge those products than there was in the fourth quarter of last year. So there's a lot of countercurrents. That's why you got to stick to these big outlier numbers, and otherwise it does tend to be a little noisier than history would indicate. Um, is that uh, uh, a good thing or bad thing that we have all of these ETF products. Is the VIX a reliable enough? Uh, I, I guess it's, it, you know, the number is what it is, but is it dangerous for people uh, who invest in ETFs, which, who might be, you know, significantly retail? Yeah, it's a great point. You know, there's no such thing, or there shouldn't be any such thing as an investor in those volatility products. There should be traders. There should be folks who hedge out for a day or two. You know, but look at the long-term charts on any of those products, and you realize they're not for long-term holds. They are purely trading products, and you got to use them as that way and no other. How uh, Do you use them? I have used them, yes. We tend to have 30-day hold periods at brokerage firms here in the States, so it's hard to use them for any consistent period of time because I don't want to hold them for 30 days. What do you look at when you're, when you're looking at a, a VIX index to buy into? 
I look for basically, I look at the long-term price chart to see how well it actually correlates to the VIX. A lot of these products reset every day, and so you have to be very careful on these, any daily reset product that you're buying it for the appropriate period of time and that it does actually track what it purports to track because those daily resets can kill you mm-hmm. when volatility is high. What do hydrocarbons tell you right now? We asked Kate Moore of this at J.P. Morgan. Uh, private bank this morning, and uh, she was remarkably cautious about the mystery of what hydrocarbon shares do. What do you think they're going to do? Yeah, it's a great point, and that's well put. The bottom line is that energy stocks act okay here. I'm actually a fan. I understand where the commodity market's taking us, but I think equities should be all right. They've actually been in line with the S&P so far year to date, and a lot of the bigger names have done even better. So I think we're pretty washed out. We see that in the money flows on the ETF side, and we see that in the price action. So I like them for here. You also like gold. I do like gold, and that's that's a hard one to like because it's been unlovable for the last four years since those 2011 peaks. But it trades extremely well, and I do think even if you're not pre-destined uh, to like gold philosophically, it's a really right. important market tell. Are you a technical or a fundamental on gold? James Steele's given us such good perspective from HSBC, but he's completely fundamental on good demand dynamics. I would say I'm 50-50. I totally okay. respect that many many folks need to look at technicals to trade gold because it doesn't have those classic fundamental outputs like cash flow to analyze. But I'm also bullish on the demand picture, and I think it is one of those rare risk hedges that people will flock to if things get more volatile. Nick, final question. Pitchers and catchers, they all return. What will you glean this weekend from pitchers and catchers at spring training. It's all about chemistry between pitchers and catchers. You know, it is the most important relationship in baseball. they got to get along. <laughs> That's Just like the smartest here, thing. Yeah. That's the smartest thing we've heard this week. Nick Colas with Convergex uh, with a really smart note uh, about breaking up the VIX and looking at its subparts and uh, sees a pretty good market away from energy and Financials futures at negative six, down futures negative forty six. Uh, yields were in, and there's been a really nice reversal. I don't want to make too much of it on a churning Friday, uh, but nevertheless, the tape ugly two hours ago, and we've had a nice little lift up here. Uh, dollar weakness fractionally, uh, yen one twelve ninety five was much stronger earlier. We pulled away uh, from that. Uh, the German two-year has my full attention. We had a full uh, negative 0.54 print to three digits now, negative 0.534 on the German two-year yield. West Texas, $30, 21 cents a barrel. Let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Libya was the scene today in the fight against the Islamic State group. American warplanes struck multiple targets, including an apparent Islamic State training camp and a senior extremist leader. A U.S. official who did not want to be identified did not go into details about the leader or the area in Libya where the airstrikes were conducted. The casket of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia will be on public view today in the Great Hall of the Supreme Court building. The justice's former law clerks will take turns standing vigil throughout the day and night. It is NASA's version of a trash incinerator. A pair of astronauts aboard the International Space Station released a capsule loaded with 1.5 tons of trash. 
The capsule should re-enter the atmosphere and burn up harmlessly over the Pacific tomorrow. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Hello, Michael. We brought Matt Damon back from Mars. We can figure out what to do with trash (laughs) over the Pacific. Stay with us worldwide. Bloomberg Surveillance. The news update brought to you by Benzo Bush Motor Car in Englewood, New Jersey, offering a commitment to service, luxury, and value with total transparency from America's premier automotive dealership. Define the way you drive at BenzoBush.com. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures lower following a decline in oil. Let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call. And here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Ken. That's right. U.S. futures are under pressure today. Dow futures currently lower by 52 points. S&P futures drop six. And Nasdaq futures fall by 13. The U.S. 10 yield at 1.74%. And in Europe, Spain is lower by 1.5%. Italy drops 1.1%. On the U.S. economic front at 8.30, CPI. And after the bell last night, applied materials beat. And Nordstrom, 2017 adjusted EPS views trailed estimates. Regarding earnings this morning, DRQ and EPS 80 cents beat estimates of 71, but cut its 2016 forecast. Finally, some of your Wall Street upgrades and downgrades. At Bank of America, Reliance Steel cut to neutral. Steel there and Crown Holdings raised to buy. Boise Cascade raised to outperform at BMO. Best Buy cut to neutral at Goldman Sachs. Applied Materials raised to buy at Needham. Spirit Auto Systems cut to neutral at UBS. And finally, Sintel cut to market perform over at Wells Fargo. Live from the first of Breaking News Desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen? All right, thanks, Bill. To hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg, type Squawk Go on your terminal. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K Go. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Bloomberg Surveillance this morning brought to you by Invesco. Investing isn't about meeting benchmarks. It's about achieving goals. Find out how Invesco's high-conviction approach can help. Visit Invesco.com slash high-conviction. And on a Friday, we thank Invesco for their Support. We spoke to him a few days ago. We drive the discussion forward, and we're going to do this today, particularly for American um, listeners, on Brexit. It was this phrase that came up, yeah, yeah, back and forth, and everybody in the United Kingdom wound up. Thomas Raines is at Chatham House, where they do international relations at the highest level. He joins us uh, for the second time uh, this week. Thomas, wonderful to speak to you again. What is the significance that David Cameron's uh, soiree in Brussels is extended? Uh, Cameron is trying. Uh, he's locked in negotiations at the moment. We've, uh, we're, we're sort of awaiting white smoke to come from the, uh, the exactly. building in Brussels, and, uh, and nothing's come through so far. Basically, I think the, the the deal has been harder. It's been harder to get people to give way. There are a few particular sticking points on the issues that he's trying to address. One is around the access for EU migrants in Britain to the UK welfare system, particularly around child benefits. And then another around the, the relationship between countries which use the euro, the single currency in much of the EU, and those, current, and those countries like the UK, which still have their yeah, own currency. You, you nail it. The white swing. Of course, we've got the whole Pope Trump backstory here. <laughs> the white smoke in Brussels, except there's no Pope. That's the fundamental issue. 
There's no pope. There is a man named Donald Tusk. He is the president of the EU Council, and he's working very hard at the moment to try and broker a solution. He's former prime minister of Poland. He's trying to pressure all sides. He is, by all accounts, keeping, keeping everyone locked in negotiations and saying we're not all getting back around the same table until I have a nod from everyone who's taking part that we've got a deal. So at the moment, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of back and forth bilaterals. It comes down to particular words in the texts. And there are some rumors, apparently, that uh, the complicate issues with with uh, the Greek Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras trying to link the two main issues being discussed at the summit. One, of course, is, is Brexit and Britain leaving the EU. The other is the issue of migration, which is obviously a, a huge issue uh, for, for a number of European countries and, and in many ways more important than, than what happens to, to Britain uh, and more immediate. Uh, and there are rumours at the moment that the, the Greek Prime Minister is trying to get guarantees about the UK keeping, uh, the EU rather, keeping its open borders and that he will veto a deal on, on Brexit unless he can, uh, he can secure that. So it's a slightly uh, dangerous and delicate moment in the negotiations. Mike, my head's spinning. <laughs> the, uh, you mentioned uh, David Cameron. Uh, what's, leave, leaving aside uh, Prime Minister Chipras, what's the other side, those who are uh, not giving in uh, to Cameron's demands, what's their argument? So they have some particular concerns. If you take the countries uh, in Central and Eastern Europe, uh, Poland in particular, uh, they have a lot of citizens who are living in the UK and they don't want their citizens who live in the UK to be treated differently under UK law than British citizens. So this all comes down to this issue around discrimination and whether if uh, the UK changes the way that, that people can access benefits, whether that counts as discrimination if it's done on the basis of nationality. So their argument is that if a Polish person works in Britain and pays their taxes, then they should be able to access the same benefits that British people are. But it, it, gets, it gets very uh, complicated and, uh, and a bit tricky around particular issues like child benefit for migrants whose children still live back in Poland. So at the moment, mm. the situation is that they can get benefits for children who are still living back in Poland. And in the UK, that's seen as uh, a scene unfair. So it's, a, it's an issue of fairness for both sides. So that's one of the reasons it's so difficult to resolve. One of the reasons we care, obviously, uh, here is the uh, financial industry mm. could be significantly affected. There's something called a passport that uh, is at the heart of whether the British are going to be able to, whether banks are going to continue to headquarter in London if Brexit were to happen. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a, that's a huge issue. And, and one of the items on the ne negotiation agenda is about uh, seeking to sort of get some special protections for the large financial industry that's, that's based in London and the UK. Um, the real, the real uh, uncertainty around this is that if the UK were to vote to leave, we don't know what the relationship would look like afterwards. No country's ever left the EU. Uh, there are some countries which have uh, a relationship that allows for the trade in financial services, um, but that would involve other trade-offs that the UK might be not willing to make. So this uncertainty is obviously uh, not good right. for business. In 30 seconds, what's your unexpected out of this? What's the thing that nobody's looking for? in London? Uh, I, I would say what, what, what I just mentioned earlier, which is that the, the, the issues around Britain's membership of the EU get dragged into this this mass of complicated uh, issues around migration. And I think that would, okay. if, if the two get bound uh, up together, that will make the problem uh, less easy to solve rather than easier. Don't be a stranger. Thomas Raines uh, helping us out this week with perspective. He is with Chatham House. I urge their website upon you. 
uh, like many of their brethren in international relations, very smart uh, reading and weekend reading to make you more informed about uh, these events. Um, yeah, I got to give a major shout out, Michael Key, to Francine Lagoqua, who yeah. was way out front on the urgency of Brexit. Francine provided terrific leadership here to the surveillance uh, team. Futures at negative six. Next, we look at the economy, Bloomberg surveillance. Coming up, the With All Due Respect highlight brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit LandRoverTriState.com for special offers during the only adventure sales event. Land Rover, above and beyond. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991. To Boston, Bloomberg 1200. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Morning, it's 8.30 on Wall Street Uh, Economic Indicators, brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer RIA that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. You heard Tom giving his approval to the numbers. Vinny Del Giudice, what is this CPI? Tom, oh, yeah, is right. It's unchanged in January. Economists had been anticipating a decline. The Consumer Price Index January unchanged. That follows a decline the prior month. The core, excluding food and energy, hotter than forecast, up 0.3%. Economists had been looking for a 0.2% gain. Revisions earlier in the week, uh, putting the CPI core for the prior month also up 0.2%. Let's look at it. Year over year, the CPI up 1.4%. Core year over year up 2.2%. Lots of numbers. The headline one more time, consumer price index unchanged January. At the Bloomberg First Word Desk, I'm Vinny Dale Judice. Let's go back to New York. Mike, I just put the two-year yield out. Why don't you step in here with your perspective, please? Yields higher. Futures churn a little bit. Oil lower, 29.93 a barrel on West Texas, down 84 cents. Yeah, this is a little bit what the Fed was expecting. I mean, yeah. we... What, it's it's hard to know exactly because one month, et cetera, but uh, mathematically, the big declines of last year falling out of the indexes, the big declines of this year only now just starting to get incorporated into them. So this could be a one-off uh, bounce uh, that will reverse as oil prices are factored sure. into it. Uh, it's it's hard to know without taking it apart and I haven't had enough time to go deep into the details. Yet, Monthly CPI we'll revision higher. The jump in core CPI, excuse me, the jump in regular CPI year over year, over 60 days, as Mike says, don't write home about it, is a double, 0.7 to 1.4. The vector is, in, you know, to, to Janet Yellen's great credit in the inflation, not fear mongers, but the inflation optimists. Is, is remarkable. And you see it with a two-year yield, which is 0.69, literally a Bloomberg cup of coffee ago, 0.7313. It's moved four basis points in a heartbeat. Well, what's so funny is everybody looks at the WIRP function on the Bloomberg and says, well, the markets have priced something out. And now you, know, you, you watch things change as the data come in and people uh, look again. Food prices, which were down, in the prior month, we're flat this month. That's one of the reasons we saw 
uh, prices go up again. I'm starting to look at the, at the numbers here. So uh, food and energy, obviously, the, the big contributors. Energy down 2.8%, which yeah. is the same as in December. So um, maybe it's not all that. Uh, and yeah, I'll, I'll keep looking through, but there do seem to be a lot of things going up in price. Uh, One comment before we get to our good guest. Cleveland CPI, which I much prefer... I think it's way smart mathematics. 2.43% is where we ended the year. Well, they would hive off certainly energy prices yeah. from that because yeah. they trim it, yeah, they take out the outliers. Dana Friedman with us. She is with Fidelity, which barely describes her responsibilities in what they invented. Fidelity literally invented sector investing and select portfolio investing, and she speaks with us today about the strength of the American consumer. Dina, I find it the oddest, oddest of American sectors, retailing. How hard has it been for you to manage money recently? Uh, well, first off, good morning to everybody um, joining us. Um, I'm very excited to be on the call today. Um, you know, I've been um, covering the retail space for almost 13 years, um, 10 years of fidelity, and then a number of years on the sell side. Um, mm-hmm. what, what I've always found is that there's always a way to generate alpha in terms of consumer discretionary. Um, you know, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about where the consumer is going. Where I'm are looking- they going right now? We don't know. <laughs> Good question. So um, a couple of things that I'm looking at, um, I'm focused on a lot of big mega trends. Um, the first mega trend that we're seeing out there, and, and just to step back for a second, I use the word mega trend intentionally because um, I, I see these as long-term secular trends, not just a trend impacting one or two years, but really a long-term trend. Mm-hmm. So um, one big mega trend out there is the whole gravitation to um, transacting online. Um, transacting online is certainly more convenient. So, what do you, you have two stocks in your portfolio, Google and Amazon? I mean, what do you do if we're transacting online? What do you do within a portfolio if you want to do the online bet? Sure, sure. So, um, if you look at my top 10 holdings, um, which are published on fidelity.com as of December 31st, you see a name like Amazon as one of my top holdings. Um, I view Amazon as a big picture, certainly benefiting from this whole shift to online. Um, commerce, and um, overall I see it as a key disruptor. Well, sure, um, but what about the rest of the retail space? They seem to be Amazon food. I mean, you look at what happened to Walmart uh, this past uh, quarter. Uh, is there, is there any, anybody to own on an Internet e-commerce basis besides Amazon? So I spend a lot of time looking at the companies that I own and making sure that they have brand appropriate um, online strategies. For some companies, it will be more important. For other companies, less important. You know, some com- some categories are inherently more conducive to selling online, something like footwear, because if you know your size, you don't ha- necessarily have to take that risk, you know, that something won't fit you. Um, however, if you're dealing with mm-hmm. something like chemicals or um, auto parts, that is something right. that, 
is not as conducive to selling online. You can't ship, okay. you know, a lot of chemical products. Dina, what we're going to do is come back, Dina, uh, and I want to dive into where we are with the state of the consumer, particularly with uh, uh, the state of New York City. We're just finishing Fashion Week here, and we're the trendier, other than a lot of those stocks are rolling over half for dead. Dina Friedman is with Fidelity with her select retail portfolio. That's a very cool thing. I remember when those were literally invented out of the blue and were instantly hugely game-changing on Wall Street. Futures at negative six. This hour of surveillance brought to you by Westchester Subaru. Visit westchestersubaru.com. Here's Michael Barr with headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. The casket with the body of Justice Antonin Scalia will lie in repose today at the Great Hall of the Supreme Court. Among the mourners who will pay their respects today are President Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama. Scalia died last weekend at age 79. U.S. warplanes have struck an Islamic State camp in Libya today. According to the Pentagon, a senior Tunisian operative linked to two major terrorist attacks in Tunisia last year was most likely killed in the airstrike. Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump is standing by his claim that Pope Francis does not understand the U.S. immigration situation. The Pope suggested anyone who wants to build a wall on the Mexican border is not Christian. Trump, who at first called the Pope's comments disgraceful, toned it down when he spoke to ABC News this morning. I think it was a little bit lighter, the mention that the press sort of uh, portrayed after I read his transcript. But, uh, you know, it's about illegal immigration. You have to have a border or we just don't have a country. Trump also tweeted out a photo of Vatican City, which shows it surrounded by a lot of walls. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Mike Labar. Mike, Tom. Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Ray Katina Auto Group Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with Rob Bushka. Rob? Morning, Mike and Tom. Mixed emotions on the ice on Thursdays. The Rangers did what they're supposed to, which is hang around late on the road and give yourself a chance. Brassard with Zuccarello, two on one. Brassard in the empty net, he scores. With 19.9 seconds to go, the Rangers have put it away. That's MSG on the call. Derek Broussard nets a pair of goals. New York doubles up Toronto 4-2. to two. Rangers have won 7-10. of 10. They are third in the East. Islanders, they hosted the hottest team on ice, the Washington Capitals, and the leading scorer, Alex Ovechkin, who added a pair to his already season best. Now he has 37. Justin Williams blasted a game winner, though, in overtime as the Caps took down New York 3-2. to two. Islanders are fifth in the East. The Devils are a point out in eighth place there. They have the night off. NBA Knicks and Nets, they were off. They'll square off tonight, though, at the Barclays Center at 7.30. And prior to the game, the Nets will introduce their new GM, Sean Marks. And pitchers and catchers, guys, have finally reported to Florida and Arizona for Major League Baseball spring training. Optimism for Yank skipper Joe Girardi, newly acquired closer. Roldis Chapman's in camp, but he could be in for a legal battle, too, and face suspension regarding domestic violence. While Mets manager Terry Collins says his club is centered around one of the best rotations in baseball, especially that he's ever seen. So mark your calendar, guys. March 1st, Grapefruit League opens up play, and that's your NBC Bloomberg Sports Update. Mike, Tom? Yeah, thanks so much. Greatly appreciate that. Futures negative five. It doesn't describe the churn of the market, and I really got to go to what we saw with CPI with a little more inflation across a set of data. Two-year yield is radically different from where it was three hours ago. We go from 0.69 out to 0.75. Mike, what do you got over there? Well, I got some headlines from Loretta Mester, the Cleveland Fed president. What's she uh, And she's uh, suggesting she backs a gradual approach to Fed 
tightening the U.S. economy is uh, mm-hmm. doing okay. Uh, inflation is going to stay lower for longer, she says, but it will return to 2%, and she says it's too early to alter the economic outlook. You know, Fed headlines from uh, the Bloomberg. I'd also point out oil beneath 30 a barrel, 29 93 down 84 cents on West Texas Intermediate. Michael McKee and Tom Keen. Next, the economy, Bloomberg surveillance. The Sports Report brought to you by Ray Katina Auto Group. Adventures begin in Land Rover. For special offers, hurry to the only adventure sales event going on now at Land Rover Edison, a Ray Katina dealership on Route 1 in Edison, New Jersey. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by American Arbitration Association. Business disputes are inevitable. Resolve faster with the American Arbitration Association, the global leader in alternative dispute resolution for over 85 years. Learn more at ADR.org. Yahoo up 2.5% this morning. It hired financial advisors and formed a committee of independent board members to explore its strategic options. The cost of living in the U.S., excluding food and fuel, increasing in January by the most in more than four years. The so-called Core consumer price measure climbing three-tenths percent, more than forecast, and the most since August 2011, after a two-tenth percent gain the month before. U.S. stock index futures lower, mirroring a slide in oil prices. S&P E-mini futures down nine points. Dow E-mini futures down 70, and Nasdaq E-mini futures down 18. DAX in Germany is down eight-tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury down eight thirty-seconds. The yield 1.76 percent. Yield on the two-year, 0.74%. NYMEX crude oil down 3.3% or a dollar two to 29.75 a barrel. COMEX gold up two tenths percent or two dollars to 12.28.20 an ounce. The euro a dollar 10.84. The yen 113.01. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Thank you, Karen. It is 8:48 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Ramesh Panuru, a columnist for Bloomberg View. In a press conference this week, President Barack Obama said that Republican senators have a constitutional obligation to take up any Supreme Court nomination that he sends them. He's mistaken. The framers considered requiring senators to take action if they wanted to block a nominee. They rejected that idea, writing a constitution that made confirmation depend on affirmative steps by the Senate. So under our constitution, the Senate can kill a nomination passively by doing nothing. That's why Obama was within his constitutional rights when, as a senator, he tried to block an up or down vote on Samuel Alito's nomination to the Supreme Court. Senate Republicans, moreover, are justified in trying to deny Obama a chance to appoint another justice. The modern Supreme Court plays a much larger policymaking role than it did for much of our history. Modern liberalism is aggressive in its use of judicial power to impose its policies, whether or not the text or original understanding of the Constitution warrants it. The Constitution gives Republicans the ability to call at least a temporary halt to this project, their right to exercise it. I'm Ramesh Panuru. For more view, please go to BloombergView.com or view Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. Well, this is a lot of fun, folks. We're talking retail. Dina Friedman with us with uh, Fidelity and their select retail uh, portfolio. Uh, Dina, what do you see within closed consumption? One of the dangerous things that just occurred to the surveillance team is the three copies of Harper's Bazaar just wandered in the door. And for the spring, I mean, it's the size of the Manhattan phone book. I get that. But is there any zest in luxury and mid-market 
retail clothing right now? Um, you know, it's interesting you ask that. I actually returned from the fashion um, trade show in Las Vegas. And, um, you know, there are certainly pockets of opportunity. And um, I spend a lot of time, you know, thinking where to position the fund where, you know, certain categories will succeed. Um, one area that continues to be strong is um, this whole comfort trend, um, this whole active look. Um, I see it really as part of a bigger trend of healthy living. You know, healthy living is influencing our activities. Yeah, but can you play that? Other than Lululemon, come on, Mike and I wear Lululemon a lot. Other than Lululemon, how do you play that within the market, or is it within a more diversified company like Nike or or Under Armour in that? Absolutely through the vendors. Um, You mentioned Nike and um, Under Armour as examples. Well, uh, I think what – what is good about each of them? I mean, Nike is, again, sort of like an Amazon. It's sort of the obvious. Sure. So, you know, just bigger picture, you know, looking at a lot of these athletic companies, um, you know, and it really goes back to my overall process. I'm looking for companies with strong content, you know, being exposed to a strong category or having a strong brand. Um, companies with a lot of innovation. When I'm meeting with these companies, I'm wanting to find out about what kind of innovation you have. If you have strong innovation, it starts off a virtuous cycle. It's, it, it drives strong sales. It drives mm-hmm. pricing power, which drives gross margin and profitability, as well as cash flow generation. We, we've seen a lot of stocks roll over. We don't need to name any you know specific ones here, but it's been challenging to say the least. Is retail a value now? I mean, Michael Kors, 100 to 40, if you will. I mean, this stunning movements. Is retail a value now? Or is it a value trap? Well, you know, it's very important to um, get to know your companies really well. As Fidelity, we have the luxury of getting to know our companies very well. And anyone that knows me would tell you that I'm always thinking about my fund and the companies that I cover really 24-7. So um, you need to get to know the companies very well to determine whether or not it's a value trap. Well, um, is it, can, but is re, seriously, within the long-term perspective that Peter Lynch and Ned Johnson and the others invented, I get that. Is retail position now is a value to acquire or is it a textbook value trap based on lousy nominal GDP? Um, you know, you need to really pick your spots. Um, you know, if, if, you know, certainly the U.S. is in a very slow growth environment. So what I'm looking for are companies that have an opportunity to expand internationally, companies that are exploiting the online opportunity, and companies that are anchored by strong content. So um, when thinking about what types of stocks to put in the portfolio, I'm looking at them one by one because I want to avoid the value traps. I see my role as a fund manager of select retail to help my investors make money and help them avoid the losers out there. I have to ask from a macro point of view, you were talking about uh, hold costs down and uh, increase margins. Are people able to do that? This is such a low-cost world at this point. What kind of margins can you get if uh, if the price pressure is just constant? Um, a lot of it depends um, on the type of innovation you have going on. If you're putting out the same basic items year after year, it's really difficult to get a lot of pricing power. And, and that's really true as a lot of these low-cost, fast fashion players are coming onto the scene, especially in the U.S. Dina, thanks so much. Greatly appreciate it. With Fidelity Select Retail, 
this uh, this morning. Greatly appreciate that with thoughts. So Amazon, I mean, Mike, it's a general statement to say Amazon's going to win, but I just wonder where that observation is five years from now. Because I look outside my door. I mean, I don't even know half the boxes coming in the house. Well, what's interesting is uh, somebody noted the other day that uh, there is an environmental aspect to Amazon. Yeah, I was going to go right so there. So many boxes. Yeah. And, you know, how do they all get recycled? We should do, we should do a whole segment. Uh, why you? Uh, yeah. If you can't figure out how to do cardboard in Amazon, it's uh, an and, and, story. Uh, get it in the next 24 hours. Yeah, we'll have to say 24 <laughs> send seconds. It, but... Send it to us. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk uh, coming up in a few minutes also um, – we should note with Scott Galloway because um, of Yahoo, uh, the man who yeah. has been calling for Yahoo to be euthanized for some time. Uh, they have hung the for sale sign out. Uh, the board voting independently. I'm not clear what uh, Ms. Meyer yeah. has had to do with this to uh, seek uh, alternatives. And they say that uh, separating out from Alibaba is key. To uh, to value and the problem is that you know she called it off because of the tax implications. There's, there's one headline here. I need to be careful on this, but Yahoo hires Goldman, J.P. Morgan, and PJT. Think they know anything about this stuff? I, I don't. You know, Jin Chow reporting yeah. for Bloomberg News on it. It has been uh, a struggle. We, we say this with respect, folks. We don't like to take shots at people here, but it has been a struggle. Uh, to say the least. Mike, let's go over the inflation data today. I saw a sea change oh, yeah. uh, in the market. We went from 0.69 to a Janet Yellen friendly 0.75 off the inflation data. Again, it's been a clumsy week, but nevertheless, uh, just some interesting stuff. Oil moving lower down a dollar seven, 29.70 on West Texas. That bears sort of Friday closing watching. If you're on your cell phone with your Bloomberg terminal log on, uh, that that's you know something to watch. Well, and futures deteriorate now. It's a uh, I, it's Friday, so I don't want to do too much. Math. I agree. I don't want to stress stress everybody out, but you got to realize that when you're looking at this, when you're considering the CPI, it's a percentage change month to month that counts. Uh, and if gasoline and oil prices don't continue to go down, and really they haven't gone down, I mean they're they're volatile within a range yeah, here, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then we're not going to see them weigh on consumer prices in the same way, and that would help push prices up. I have some good news for you. You uh, recently uh, bought your bride jewelry. It's a rumor. Uh, that was in December and uh, or, 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 or in November. I'm not sure. If you bought it in November, <clears throat> prices had gone down 1.3 percent for jewelry. Uh, uh, you you didn't want to do it in January. Fortunately, you got ahead of the curve. Jewelry prices shot up 4.1 percent. So it's one of the contributors to inflation is uh, the price of jewelry going up. Well, that's disappointing for the weekend. Uh, there we are. We had inflation. And seriously, folks, what Mike's doing there is really important. As I say, you've heard me say the phrase many times. We go beneath the headline numbers. Okay, on Jobs Day, that's a big deal. But, Mike, I would suggest what you do with the GDP statistics and with retail sales and with inflation is just as important. Because there's a whole story in there yeah. beneath me or Vinnie Del Judice blathering about the headline numbers. More good news for you. Alcoholic beverages away from home, only up a tenth of a percent. Oh, shaken, not stirred. <laughs> futures negative 10, Dow futures negative 79. One more hour of a stirred Bloomberg surveillance.